listening to the Carrero Podcast. I am Malia Hoffman, and I'm here with Fred Ramirez. Today, our guest is Grant Davis. Grant is a middle school teacher to his very core. Accidentally stumbling upon his passion for middle school during his student teaching in 2011, he currently teaches 7th grade social studies and philosophy in Seoul, South Korea. Although teaching continues to captivate him, he now struggles to reconcile his zeal with the new expectations of the virtual school. Grant plans to take a break the next school year to pursue his master's while he reevaluates the tenuous future of classroom instruction amidst this pandemic. Hi, Grant. Thanks so much for joining us today. To start off, will you mind sharing your social media platforms that people can follow you on or that you don't mind connecting with people? Yeah, sure. So uh, like you said, my name is Grant Davis. Um, I, I usually pr- keep a pretty light footprint right now, so you can always uh, find me on just Instagram, uh, Grant A. Davis. It's very creative, but it keeps track of me, so you can always find me there. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you very much. So then our first question for you today is, you mentioned that you stumbled upon middle school during your student teaching. Can you describe what you mean when you say stumbled upon? Yeah, I, I think er, like throughout my teaching career or like kind of visualizing what it would be, I think I always assumed that I would teach high school. I think I think that probably is the case for a lot of people that end up in middle school. Um, and just just through, you know, observations, I started doing my observations in, in high schools and and um, and then I was actually placed uh, placed into a middle school for my semester long uh, teaching, um, uh, student teaching. And so, uh, with that, I was kind of actually, at first I was disappointed. Uh, and I thought, oh man, like, you know, well, eighth grade, like they're, they're almost high schoolers. Um, but it was, it was kind of a a blessing in that I was placed with a, a teacher that was at the very last year of a like 30 year career. Wow. Um, so you say lucky because a lot of people might perceive that differently. So I take it this teacher was really good. It's it's true. Yeah. It was the first semester of his last year. Okay. So he didn't start cashing in his like days off until retired on semester. duty, we call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's right. Um, so, uh, so, but it, it really worked well with the way that I kind of operate as a teacher. Um, I've learned over the process that, you know, there are plenty of really organized teachers that they, they like to be a week or two weeks ahead. And I think I kind of operate more like a programmer and mm. that I, I really do assess what has happened today so that oh, I know good. what needs to happen tomorrow. Um, and it drives my administrators crazy um, because they always want lesson plans for the month <laughs> or for the unit or for the week. And I have them in my head and I know them because now, especially with seven years of experience, it's a little bit less uh, precarious. Yeah. Um, but that was the way he taught. And so as I went through that experience in middle school, I was just blown away. I, I'm, I'm kind of silly, like in the classroom, mm-hmm. I, I'm not afraid to do kind of silly things. You have to as a um, middle school teacher. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm comfortable doing that. Like I'm comfortable dressing up in costumes and, mm-hmm. you know, just doing ridiculous things. And, and so that really is much better suited in the middle school environment. Yep. Um, I, I graduated uh, halfway through the school year. And so that will always, you know, that kind of hanging uh, spring semester, I was, I got a, um, a long-term sub job in a, in a high school, 10th grade. 
and uh, the high schoolers were not silly. Uh, and no. they, yeah, when I tried to be silly, they just shut down uh, and wrote me off. And yeah, so they're way too cool that for that. Kind of a, yeah. yeah, it was a lonely, uh, a lonely <laughs> semester <laughs> for me. Um, and uh, but uh, I survived. It was I quickly after that I was like I'm a middle school teacher, and that's where I'm going to look for jobs. And and that's mm-hmm. kind of where I landed. I I've kind of been blessed in that. Um, I've taught the exact same subject on two different continents um, throughout my career so far for seven years, seventh grade social studies. So that's wow. awesome. I taught eighth sure. grade social studies, so I can totally identify with your experience. But mm-hmm. see, see, and I, I taught high school social studies, and <laughs> I was a I was I, w- I was a silly jerk that uh, a lot of my students would call me. So I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> you know? um, so 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 Grant, where are you from, and how did you end up in Korea? Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's that's kind of a journey in itself. Um, so I'm originally from Oklahoma, and um, I, I grew up part of my childhood in Oklahoma, part of my childhood in Indiana. Um, and yeah, I saw that. I saw that you, uh, you had spent some time, or at least, are you from Indiana? No, I actually did my graduate work there. Okay. Yeah. So for yeah, people so, who can't see uh, us right now, Fred is pointing to his Indiana... <laughs> banner hanging above his head so right <laughs> to give context so. <laughs> thank you Leah. yes yeah so but overall my uh, my background is pretty eclectic i i'm a air force brat so you know through through that process i pretty much through all through my childhood i moved schools every two years until i got to college wow uh, yeah and i don't think i really even understood how significant that was until yeah. i got to college and i met a bunch of people that had been to the same school <laughs> and like i was Day like one. oh wow like and i was always the, perpetually the new kid um which actually you know when i finally got to international schools teaching international schools that's their experience mm-hmm. um wow. and so so go. i kind of accidentally found my home and and my people my tribe and so <laughs> Um, because you know, the, I have students that they have the exact same story. Um, they, but it's usually it's countries. Um, I didn't move countries growing up, but I, I definitely had, I did it all. I did public school, private school, homeschool, and it was just, um, nothing traumatic in my life. Just the way that my schooling kind of operated. Um, and there was just different events in my life that happened, moves and things. So, um, so yeah, so that was kind of where I grew up, uh, and uh, and then finally, you know, with here in Korea, I've always been pretty passionate. Um, for me personally, uh, I feel uh, very drawn uh, into uh, world missions, um, and so like the school that I'm at right now is a, is a Christian international school, and so so that's a really important part um, of the dynamic, and so that's that was kind of the initial uh, draw uh, to go and uh, kind of both, you know go into the, go into the world and be able to use my profession as well. So that's, that's, that, that's fascinating because one of the, um, one of the things that, that I'm always interested in is how, how a teacher's life growing up um, was either different or, or, or the same as their, as their own kids that they're, that they're teaching. So it really sounds like the, you know, kids that you're teaching now, there's, there's a huge parallel as to both of your lives. Yeah, no, it, it's true. I, um, I really do feel like, and, and I don't, like I said, I don't think I got it until really late 
where I realized, oh, like I am not, I'm very different. Even though I never moved countries, they have this term called a, a TCK, a third culture kid where oh. you, know, you yeah. grow up, um, your parents have one culture um, and then you are in kind of a different culture than your parents. And so then you have this right. kind of between the two. Um, and uh, and that, that really is, uh, even though I never left the United States, that really is, that's kind of my, my story. So, so then you, how were the, sorry, um, so then one of the, one of the other things that I'm very interested in is the cultural differences and um, one of, and, and I've always been drawn to, to Korea only for the fact that my dad was stationed there. Um, and so he would, he would always tell, tell us stories about Korea and blah, blah, blah. Naturally things, things have changed since, yeah. you know, the 1950s. Um, so, so <laughs> what's, think? what's been the <laughs> cultural differences or, um, you know, tell us, tell us about, about that, about that fact of, of coming from the U S into, um, Korean culture. Yeah. Um, that's such a good question. Well, it's funny cause you know, g- growing up in Oklahoma and, um, and then also teaching in Oklahoma, um, my very first day of student teaching, I was handing out syllabuses. I had just introduced myself and, um, a most honest student, uh, sitting in the front row, uh, looked at me and he said, um, you know, I'm going to grow up to be an engineer someday. So that means I'm better than you. This is a Korean and, student. Well, no, this was in my public school in Oklahoma. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so later throughout the year, um, I learned that this student was just generally honest, um, and didn't always pick up on the social cues of, you know, maybe when honesty was hurtful. Um, <laughs> and so, um, and so I, you know, I was, I kind of was like taken aback. I mean, first day of student teaching and I'm, I kind of, you know, I say, wow, that was kind of rude. Um, and then I just keep going. I mean, what are you going to say? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and so that's, you know, that's kind of where I'm coming from in Oklahoma, where you're kind of fighting for legitimacy uh, as a teacher yeah. um, and, and scrapping together whatever you can, um, even though you know that you are a professional, even though you know your, you know, your peers are professionals, um, you're definitely, you know, fighting yeah, just that, that struggle for legitimacy. And then, you know, I move here where, you know, Korea education is like everything. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, Confucian, I, I don't want to overemphasize like the Confucian history behind it, but they have this real strong understanding of like an expert. Um, and so you, you kind of drive in your lane, so to speak. And so like everybody has their, you know, they're going towards some kind of expertise so when I show up, um, I'm the expert and it doesn't matter where they're coming from. I mean, I, I kind of stumbled into, you know, not really understanding the whole situation of the international school that I was going into, but you know, it's, it's right in the, you know, very forefront of, um, international schools of Korea. And, and there's a lot of families that come through here that are literally like CEOs of corporations that you would be very familiar with. And you probably have some of these, you know, devices in your home. And so like, you know, these students are coming through my classroom and, and these teachers are coming to parent teacher conferences and they're CEOs of billion, billion dollar corporations. (laughs) And they're like, totally like I am the expert. And so like, it's a really huge, like, you know, difference. Um, but then, you know, with anything, there's always the downside where some of these kids are literally, um, I, this hasn't happened to me personally, but I had a kid that, um, 
that literally uh, messaged uh, a, a, uh, one of my peers and said, please, please, can I retake this project? My parents, I, I think this was a hollow threat, but my parents won't let me sleep inside tonight if I don't get an A in this class. So like there's this huge amount of pressure <laughs> where really their value for some of these families, it's like your value is based in your grades. So if you don't perform then I am like, there's, there's a problem. Um, so it, it really is a, a, a night and day difference um, in the culture of education, so to speak. Like as far as, you know, I'm not telling students that they, I'm not convincing them to study. I'm telling them, hey, you know, for seventh grade social studies, studying for three hours <laughs> is, is, is plenty. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, and that's like, I guess that's a better problem maybe, but then, you know, yeah. I have kids literally not going to sleep before a social studies test in seventh grade because oh. they want to make sure they do well. So education um, is highly valued, but then grades are also very, very important. If only there was like some sort of balance to have the value in education, but the de-emphasis on the grade, cause the grade is not really that important. Yeah, we've tried, we've been kind of moving in the middle school and elementary school at our, because um, my international school is K through 12. And um, we, elementary is 100% standards based. Um, wow. And, and so, so that's, you know, that's a positive move. And so it's on like a three grading scale. Yeah. And then um, in middle school, we've been, I've kind of witnessed over the last four years that I've been teaching at international school, we've kind of gone towards where all summative assessments are um, are still on the normal grading scale, and then all formative assessments uh, of any kind or formative homework or anything like that is on a uh, like a formative mastery scale, and um, and so that's that's a positive move. Mm -hmm. um, but then it is once again having two two systems isn't always better than just one, right? Um, yeah. And it doesn't solve the problem where they still get a grade at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, that. That's a challenge that we're we're working on, but um, it's slow progress. So, so you've then, had a lot of experiences in education, in American education, I am assuming. Um, yes. And now you've had the experience of teaching in Asia. What is your teaching philosophy and how has that developed from these experiences? Or is it kind of something that's still kind of growing? Yeah, I... I had the unique experience. So um, I've taught for, I taught for three years at a public middle school in uh, Northern or like North Oklahoma city area. And um, I, it was, it really was a, just an amazing experience because the average teaching experience in the building that I was in was probably 20 years. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I taught next to uh, some teachers that had literally taught for over 30 years um, and, and there, and there I was first year teacher. Um, so I, I literally felt like I was, you know, rubbing shoulders with giants, um, so to speak. And, and that was a great place, a safe place as a teacher, um, to start. Um, and so, you know, going from, going from there and then moving here into Asia, I, I think one of the things that really stuck with me is there was a, a really tremendous math teacher that I taught with at my old school that she had this kind of this sign um, and this idea of kind of having class motto. So I, I would definitely, uh, in my classroom, what I've in the last three years, 
uh, I have this sign on my wall and it, it says, why are we here? So as far as philosophy of education, I definitely feel like the, the purpose mm-hmm. um, and, and helping the students understand what they're doing there. Um, in college, I was really powerfully uh, influenced or I definitely spent a lot of time um, researching into hidden curriculum. So mm-hmm. when my students walk in the door, um, what do they learn about me and this classroom before I say anything? Yeah. Um, and, and that, as somebody who also minored in philosophy, that really, I really just dug into that because it's so true. Yeah. Um, I mean, right. everything from how many, like what's on my walls to where I'm standing to how I'm talking, even, you know, all of those things. Um, and so I can't stop hidden curriculum from happening. It's going Correct. to happen. Correct. Um, so how can I kind of take that and, and run with it? Um, and so that's kind of what I've done in, in my classroom. And it has been a night and day different. Um, and so I've kind of, I looked for a word cause you always, you always want to try and, you know, create something that is memorable. And so I used the word, uh, um, vociferate. So like a shout, but like I, a vociferation, which, you know, middle schoolers aren't going to have a clue what that word is. No. And so I've been able to kind of repurpose that and not, I'm not creating a new meaning necessarily, but like I tell, like that is the thing that we do. Um, and that, that kind of motivates and, and is, it guides the way that I teach the classes. You know, um, I didn't really expect it to go as well as it did. Um, it was funny the first year I had kind of a squirrely bunch um, and I almost accidentally created this cult of sorts because uh, one of the other teachers accidentally said, class, like, why are we here? And then sure enough, like all the kids started randomly saying this motto that we had learned. In the class. Um, and, and like the teacher was like, what? Like they had no idea what was happening. That's and impressive. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't know. <laughs> um, but they like they had written at the beginning of the school year. They had used and I'd given them resources. So like I kind of guided them to discover the truth of why they're there, not just to completely invent it on their own. Um, but it, it was a night and day difference. Like the first, you know, four years of my teaching and then these last three, uh, three years of my teaching, like it, it has been a very different experience because of that. And I even now in virtual school, uh, the students are still asking us to do it. And so at the beginning of every class, I have them all stand up. Um, and you know, I do, you know, kind of callbacks, you know, class, class, yes, yes. Like what? And I say, why are we here? Mm. And then they all stand up and it's funny because at the beginning of the year, they're always complaining, do we have to memorize it? Because usually the students create yeah. something that's you know, multiple sentences long. I mean, um, and, uh, they all memorize it that's all so of them cool. by the end of the school year. And I have students coming back like year, two years later. And they, that's what they want to do. They want to vociferate and they still remember it. And it's a really positive message. Like, I mean, it's, it's, I can share some of those uh, with you guys. Um, uh, maybe if we have time later, but it, uh, it's, 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 it's good for me too, especially during virtual school lately where there have been days where I don't know why I'm, I don't know what I'm doing there. So, <laughs> well, you, you know, one, one of the things that you, that you brought up, which is, um, I was fortunate enough over at over at Indiana to to take some classes from like I guess one of the godfathers of hidden 
hidden curriculum. And and for our listeners, oftentimes it's 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 viewed as what what isn't being taught is as important as what is being taught. Yes. Um, and so and so that's why by looking looking at how how our desks are arranged and how we're how we're dressed and how we're how we're speaking those are those are all those things that are important and so and so now when you're um now when you're going from face to face to now virtual um how how have you done how (laughs) you know because you because you're Obviously, you were a very passionate person. You're a very face-to-face type of type of person. So, so tell us about this about this transition. Yeah. So, uh, in Korea now, we are in week twelve. Wow. Um, and yeah, it uh, it's it's interesting to see which teachers thrive um, and which teachers don't. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, any successful teacher, you, you have to stay flexible and you have to adapt. Um, that's just the nature of if you lose power in the middle of a test or you have a fire drill unexpectedly or your principal wants to do another assembly and you were planning on doing some project. Like, it's just, it's just the life of a teacher. But, you know, obviously this is unprecedented um, in its demands of ad- adaptation. Um, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like I am not a good suited virtual teacher mm. uh, because the hidden curriculum of virtual school, I, I don't want to be overdramatic, but it's kind of soul sucking. Mm. Um, it, it really boils it down to saying that the only valuable thing about this class is the knowledge um, and the experience um, it has no value. And um, the, the social aspect has no value. It's just the knowledge, which is the exact opposite of what I believe. Yeah. I, especially in our modern world, if I don't know something, I Google it. Right. But if I don't know how to solve a problem in my life, there is no Google for that. Um, or if I don't know how to solve internet in, like interpersonal problems or I have no self-control, there's no Google for that. And I think that that's, you know, I think that's one of the things that I've really, as a teacher, I mean, in week 12, I'm still here. So that means I've (laughs) I've adapted. Um, But it's unfortunate to see, like, you you also see which students don't thrive. Um, I mean, I've had some students that literally were great students and they're just, they're just gone. Like, they're still enrolled. Um, but, uh, I, I can tell that either through anxiety or other things that have taken hold, uh, either about the pandemic or self-control problems that they, they literally are just no longer turning in any assignments. Well, you know, we got three weeks left in school. Uh, what do you tell a parent when they're like, well, I, I need to know what my student needs to do. And you look at them and you say, your student needs to do like, I mean, eight weeks of work and you have three weeks to do it. Like that's, that's disheartening. Yeah. Um, and you know, what do you expect for a middle schooler? Like we have a unique situation because, you know, Seoul has the best internet in the world. And, you know, I go to a, you know, I have the privilege of teaching at a, you know, an international school with resources for one-to-one. And so 
you know, for middle schoolers, you give them a computer, you give them the internet, and then you tell them, oh, I want you to log in on your own at home for eight hours, five hours, six hours, whatever, every day. And your parents may or may not be actively watching you. Mm-hmm. Like, what, really? I mean, they have, you know, YouTube, all the social media, <laughs> they and probably video games. Oh, yeah, and school. And they're going to yeah. make the right choice, right? Like right. every time. So they're being kids. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly inefficient for everybody. Like, I have to give more assignments that I have to grade. Um, and, and I also have to, like, I have to be way more detailed because usually I'm much more verbal and visual and those kind of things. But, like, in virtual school, it really overstresses people who are really efficient at grading and really, like, well-detailed in their, like, planning. And those are, like, those are, like, some of my biggest weaknesses because I'm much more of a passionate, like, like interaction. Like, I'll, I'll talk to students and, you know, create that environment where they'll remember stuff. And, um, but it, it's, not, it's not through my excellent lesson planning. Um, it's through the interaction and the, and the relationship that we have. Um, yeah. And one of, the, one of the crazy things that I heard, because the Korean school year starts at the lunar holiday, like after lunar. So they, uh, they started their school year in virtual school. Ooh. And uh, I actually just had a conversation um, just yesterday with, we have some Korean neighbors that we were friends with. And they said uh, their fourth grader doesn't know what their teacher looks like. Hmm. Wow. They, they have no idea what their face looks like. And I just thought, that's, that's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like are you kidding? Like, yeah, because at fourth grade, you can do this. You can Zoom, and you should, in your online environment and whatever you're using as an LMS, have a photo of you, have a bio up, have some sort of way for your students to feel that connection to you. What is your day-to-day look like are you like when you have class time are you having them log on synchronously and talking and working through things or are you giving autonomy yeah so um i know that as a school um they they have you know with with all schools i mean we've, we've kind of stumbled into this um you know there's always these you know, college thought experience experiments. What happens if we all have to do this? And everybody's mm-hmm. like, oh, that's interesting. Um, but nobody really actually prepared for something like this. Um, so like I, you know, considering that I know that my biggest strength is, is interaction as much face-to-face as, as possible. Yeah. Um, I made the choice pretty early on uh, that I would be hosting um, like a pretty – I wouldn't say rigorous, um, but I uh, routine uh, live conferences, and um, I, I had I was lucky enough to have the support of my my admin and my team, um, and so the seventh grade we, we kind of created this schedule um, where all the core classes are are scheduled at the same time, um, and so I'll have you know as many as like seventy five students logging in to my live, you know, conference every other day. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then we have kind of like a schedule that we've been following. Now, you know, the thing that has been frustrating for parents is that's not 
necessarily consistent between grade levels. There hasn't been a unilateral decision that everybody was going to do it the certain way. So yeah. if, if families have a high schooler, a middle schooler, and an elementary schooler, every division has kind of kind of figured it out on their own, um, which I think high school is probably the most asynchronous um, just because of the, like, the complicated nature of the um, of the scheduling. Yeah. But but we were able to figure it out. So pretty much electives are still at their normal time that they would have been. And then core classes have been all moved. So every, you know, every single student in that grade level is taking the same core at the same time. That makes sense. Um, yeah. And so it helps us. So I actually, as far as my routine, it's, it's not, it's actually pretty nice. I mean, I, I don't have to set my alarm anymore. I don't have to be at school at crazy early times. Yeah. I still personally choose to go to my classroom. And, and it's nice that in Korea, we've been the freedom of movement. Mm. So we haven't really been like legally restricted, um, from so I'll I'll still go to school, but I'm I'm in the minority. Most teachers still teach from home. Yeah, uh, I have four children, so my house uh, during the daytime is not very quiet. Yeah, uh, and with them all virtual schooling, that's been also even more stressful. So, um, so yeah, so I have a day that I have to be at school by nine, and then I have a day that I don't have to be at school until one. Oh, that's nice. Uh, yeah, and so it definitely, um, but I. I think I have to just stress the inefficiency of virtual school. So even though my day is a little bit more relaxing, everything takes longer, like no matter what it is. So, yeah. 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 And it helps actually with people who might've had a perception that taking an online degree is just like kind of phoning it in and checking a box. And now that we're all having to either plan to put things online, you know how much work actually goes into it from an uh, instructor standpoint and then also a student standpoint and just giving a lot of credit to the self-guided learner and being disciplined is huge right now. Yeah. And um, so you're taking next year off and you're going to pursue your master's. What are you, what are you going to study? Yeah. So um, like I mentioned earlier, uh, one of my primary motivations for teaching is, uh, is strongly related to uh, my my pursuit of, you know, world missions. And so I'm actually going to be pursuing a, a master's of divinity at Denver seminary. And wow. so, uh, yeah, I, I also, besides social studies, when I came to my school here, I, I teach philosophy as well. Mm-hmm. And that, that had a big part of kind of pushing me towards just with the, the conversations that I've had with um, both students and, and staff and, and just the constant kind of progress towards that. And I think that, I didn't think at the beginning of this school year that this was the year that I would pursue my master's. But uh, as the year went by, I realized that, uh, that this was my turn um, to, uh, to pursue a, a further education. Because like I said, like, I am, uh, I am not, a, I'm not a great virtual school teacher, um, if I'm just completely honest. Like, yeah. I do feel like I, I have... Uh, a skill set that's well suited for you know classroom management and all those things, but when you boil it down to just virtual school, um, it definitely I need more time to kind of think through it. I definitely, but uh, but I also you know I think that there's a lot of really neat opportunities uh, in the future if 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 I also have my uh, master's of divinity and and being able to keep my license. So to be fair, though, as we were trained to teach, we were not trained to teach in the, the online. Right. platform like technology was a supplemental tool 
that was like cool if you use it, unless you've spent any time, you know, pursuing a degree in it. Um, it has not been a focus of our traditional K-12 education. So, Yeah, that's right. Um, we, we kind of have like, I think I mentioned it to, or I was talking to somebody recently that we kind of have a perfect storm um, that's both our blessing and curse here mm-hmm. in Korea in that um, we had a really robust uh, LMS, uh, learning management system. And, uh, and, and so we had one-to-one and we have really good internet. So virtual school is kind of possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, with all of those things, you know, collecting, we can kind of pull it off. Um, but I think what we're all kind of realizing is the consequences are just far too high um, of what, you know, what ends up happening in the end is, yeah. uh, is not the result. It's not the learning results that we want. Well, and like yeah. you mentioned, like you need a lot more time to do it well. And Fred and I have been experienced professors teaching in online programs for years now. And so yeah. we both know very well how much work goes into creating culture and creating community in the online environment. And it doesn't happen by accident. And for a bunch of teachers, you know, being told within weeks, you're going online, you're going to be teaching online for the first time ever, the expectation should not be very high because yeah. it's, it's something that you need to be trained in and you need to practice and you need to see it modeled. Yeah, and, and because one of the things that um, Malia and I have been looking at and uh, many, many other people are, are looking at it too, especially in K, K-12 schools, is the social emotional aspect. Um, and so can you, can you talk about that? Um, how are, how are your kids doing? How are the parents doing? Um, how are your colleagues doing during this time? You know, because we, because we often forget about you, um, you know, because we're, because we're so focused on, okay, we got to get this knowledge out. We got to get this knowledge out when teachers and staff and, and administrators are just going, oh, oh my gosh. So um, walk us through that. You know, what are you, what are you hearing? What, what are you seeing? Yeah, so um, I mentioned this just a little bit. I have four children. And so, you know, with that, the, the ages go all the way up through like fourth grade down to pre-K. And, um, and so for my wife, having to try and homeschool, all of a sudden, um, four at the same time, uh, virtual school is, is homeschool is not the right way to say it because homeschool, like in a homeschool program, you would pretty much differentiate almost like a single room schoolhouse kind of thing, you know, yeah. like you would, you would teach the same lesson and differentiate it to different levels for each kid. A virtual school is, is set up almost completely like you have enough time to teach this kid for four hours each day but they're all like asynchronous. And so like, you know, as far as from a parent's perspective, we've pretty much had to give up on electives, um, which is, which is tragic, especially as a teacher. Like when my peers email me and say, Hey, so your son hasn't turned in any art this quarter. Um, (laughs) um, are you planning? I mean, what can we do to help you out? And it's like, look, I'm really sorry. He's not going to be turning in any art this quarter. Um, because we're just barely making it at home. Um, and I definitely see that too. Like, 
I think the biggest pressure, the middle school actually, um, we have really, um, we have really dodged uh, a storm, so to speak. Um, we kind of have this perfect scenario where the pressure for college is, is off and, um, and the, but the students are old enough that they can do some of these tasks on their own. So, you know, as far as the middle school environment, we've, we've been pretty, we've kind of weathered the storm. All our share stakeholders seem to be satisfied with the amount of rigor as well as, you know, all the different things that we've done. But I know that in the elementary school, um, there's been a, almost an, like an uprising, so to speak, because mm-hmm. the parents, they're not expecting to have to do childcare and homeschool and, you know, facilitate. They're not, some of them aren't equipped. Some of them aren't available. Um, right. And so it's a, it's a zoo in, in elementary. <laughs> and some parents are straight up angry, um, yep. you know, kind of wanting refunds um, because, you know, this is, <laughs> this is not what they paid for. But, you know, as an international school, we're also legally obligated in a way that public schools are not, or even maybe private schools in America maybe wouldn't be, um, in that, uh, you know, if the Korean government doesn't feel like we are meeting their standards, uh, we're an easy target. Yeah. Um, you know, especially with, you know, the nature of xenophobia already that, you know, this with the virus and the pandemic, um, you know, they're, they're looking to blame somebody for all these problems. And so we have to kind of, you know, walk on thin ice so to speak, to make our stakeholders happy, to make our accrediting organizations happy, to make our, you know, our government happy. Um, and so it really it is not a conducive learning environment by any standard because you can't win. Yeah. What kind of um, professional development was your school offering leading up to this? Now we understand that you said that you started this the semester of the year off the school year off in the pandemic. So um, obviously they weren't prepared for this, but we're just, I guess we're curious as to what kinds of professional development as far as technology goes may have been offered to you that maybe could be leveraged into teaching online in this environment. Yeah. And so I think that that, I'm glad that you mentioned that because my school also follows the, you know, the Western um, school calendar. Yeah. And so we, we, we kind of finished off our third quarter because uh, we started the last week in February is when we started our, our virtual school here in Korea. And then um, so we finished a quarter. And for me as a teacher, the hardest part was starting quarter four in virtual school where I had, new, I had a new student join. Wow. And I have never met them. And um, I'm not sure if I ever will. Uh, right. Now, the funny thing is, they've been so like interactive on the virtual live conferences and everything. I feel like I know them. That's good. Uh, and they're doing a great job. Uh, but it, it just wouldn't be the case for everyone. But yeah, so uh, I think that as, as far as the training, there wasn't much. Um, I mean, because there wasn't much time. Yeah. I mean, we, we literally, uh, it was like, hey, guys, we're, we were going to have PD um, like on Friday, but we're going ahead and we're going to move it up to Monday and we're just going to like figure out what to do and kind of, you know, throw things together mm-hmm. as much as we can. Um, now, luckily I feel like I was, I am very, uh, 
technology comfortable. Like, you know, come from coming from a, a situation where I kind of grew up with technology. Um, it was always, you know, I kind of, I still remember before the internet and then I kind of watched, <laughs> I watched the internet grow. And like, even in fourth, fifth grade, I was still taught how to write a paper without a computer. Mm-hmm. That was the last year. And then after that, they said, you don't need to ever do that anymore. The space is <laughs> on You have a computer lab, just type it. And so yeah. that was it. Like, I never went back uh, to learning all the spacing and, and everything um, with writing it by pen and all that. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I do feel like that gives me an advantage over maybe teachers at the end of their career that technology is, you know, added in. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would say almost all... I mean, the IT wanted to be available, um, but I, I think the biggest overwhelming thing is the lack of any proper um, uh, instruction for the students. Yeah. I'd say zero. Yeah, like the students had to kind of stumble into figuring this out, and uh, we're not really well suited. If a student had a problem, we would send them to the IT office. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens if they have a problem and they're at home? Right, like. The IT isn't well-suited. They're not a call center. They're not well-suited to support a 1,000 students with their technology problems. Right. They are well-suited for students to walk up during school, and then they would help them face-to-face. Correct. So that's, that's been, I would say, the bigger issue has not been teacher training because we were already a pretty much middle school and high school. It already was one-to-one, and we were already using a, a pretty – we were using Schoology. Um, and so, you know, that – you know, that wasn't as, as traumatic necessarily um, as, as it was for students because we have students, and it's frustrating because some students legitimately have trouble. Mm-hmm. And then some students just don't want to take their test. And they say, oh, it, it won't work. Oh, no. <laughs> and, like, what do you do? Like, as a teacher, I'm powerless to differentiate if they're actually having a problem or they're just inventing a problem. And at the end of the day, like, my third quarter, grades were off the charts in every direction. I had A's and F's. Wow. And there was very little in between because if they did the work, virtual school is not as rigorous. It just can't be. And, um, and then if they didn't do the work, they just failed because they didn't right. do anything. Usually it's not, you know, it's very little in between and some of it wasn't their fault, but it's hard to tell whose it was. You yeah. Know? So I know a lot of schools are just going to pass fail right now. Is that something that your school is doing as well? Yeah, no, unfortunately not. Because of the perfect storm of, of how advanced the technology is here in mm. South Korea, um, we, we can kind of still hold students accountable. And um, I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. I, know, I do know that finals for high school have been canceled, um, mm. which, of course, every high schooler cheered. Um, <laughs> yeah. middle, middle school doesn't offer finals unless they're taking a high school credit class. Mm. So, you know, that doesn't necessarily affect us as much, but... Yeah, we're still giving grades. I mean, the the challenge is work habits. You know, like we, we give with the standards base, we have like kind of a second, um, like we have their grade for the class and then we have like, you know, work habits grades. And um, how do you grade their participation or their engagement, you know, right. like, or their like social interactions is one of our categories. Well, they didn't punch anybody because they were versus <laughs> You know, yeah. I mean, like, easy A. And that's, that's right. right. It makes it meaningless because then you just give everybody a three, and then it's like, well, yeah. what does that even mean? That you're you literally that hidden curriculum. You steal the value of the three, yeah, um, by giving it so so freely. 
Um, yeah, it's, it's complicated. I honestly, I really do believe, um, that the, the, the public school's decision to just cancel and give summer, um, is better. Um, like I think overall, you mentioned the social emotional, like I said, I have students that were great students and they've just dropped off like completely. And every time I try and communicate with them, um, they're, it's obvious that they're anxious. Um, their, their messages are erratic. Um, and their work is even more erratic. Hmm. Um, I mean, the social, the Korea has a pretty big stigma on anxiety and depression and all that stuff. They also have horrible suicide rates. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, if somebody's really struggling with anxiety and depression, they just don't talk about it. Yeah. And so depending on how Korean, cause I have, it's international school. So, you know, even though we're probably about 60 to 70% of Korean ethnicity, you have to have a foreign passport to attend a school. Ah. Um, and so it, it just depends on the family. Some families are very honest. Yeah. My student's not doing well. And, and they, you know, um, but it, it really is uh, challenging. And for staff, I think that I had to go through my own, you know, bout of depression where I was, and I found out it was about faces. Strangely enough, oh. I'd gone like five weeks and not seen a single student's face. Um, and I didn't realize how important that was to me as a teacher, yeah. like that, that interaction to see how is my content doing? Like I, you know, reading body language became like my super skill, yep. which I didn't, didn't learn that in college. Nope. Um, and, um, and so that, that was how I measured engagement. I could I knew who to ask the next question to because the way that their body language was, well, now I have nobody to answer, ask questions to because it's just names on a screen. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And so once I figured that out, I had, I had them start submitting assignments with videos. So if they had a worksheet or something, they had to explain the worksheet. And I, I had no idea how powerful it would be for me as a teacher just to see them and hear their voice. Yeah. Um, as weird as that is. Cause I, I, it sounds, it felt weird like that I needed to see them. Um, but, but they probably yeah. also need that in return. Yeah. Like yeah. with each other. Have you used Flipgrid? Uh, I, I not, not a lot. I have used it during virtual school. Mm-hmm. I actually gave it a try yeah. and, uh, it was with mixed results. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but it, it, it did, uh, it, it was a starting point. Yeah. Um, Grant, you've, you've given us a lot of really positive stuff and, and, and stuff that's, um, stuff to make us think about, um, we, you know, when we're, when we're working with kids and, and faculty and staff, uh, one of the things that we, that we like to end all of our, um, all of our colleagues and friends with is what your call to action is. Um, so what is your one call to action? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, I think, you know, as definitely somebody who, you know, I minored in philosophy and uh, I had the opportunity to actually teach it to seventh graders, which most people underestimate um, the, a seventh grader's ability to, you know, to do philosophy, mm-hmm. um, even at an introduction level. But I would definitely say that kind of like my theme in my classroom, like as, an, as educators, we really have to objectively decide why we're here. Um, and if that's virtually or physically, um, I think that the, just the confusion about what education is supposed to be and do, um, is far more 
destructive um, because, you know, education, it, it, you cannot be ideologically neutral. Um, like the way that you teach tells students something about value and purpose. And if we try and kind of scrub that out, it's, it's, not, it's not accurate because what we end up with is meaninglessness. If we don't offer them truth about life or truth about the curriculum or the content, like things that they can, you know, hold on to, which, you know, virtual school, everything is in flux. So like we're all kind of scrambling what is true, you know? Hmm. And I think that that's, um, that's, that's my biggest kind of um, my point that I've found, even in my classroom, like I said, like once I, once I helped define that for the students, um, everything, everything kind of made sense and they loved it, even though it was very, you know, rigid, we defined the truth and then we went for it. Um, it, it, it everyone thrived. Good. I love that. I love that connection to the philosophical piece because it allows them to have these deep, rich, thoughtful conversations and, and it teaches them how to formulate arguments and consider other people's viewpoints, which I think is something that la- we're lacking in the world <laughs> today is people just considering someone else's viewpoint. Um, so thank you for that. Thanks for leaving us with that. So that wraps us up. Thank you so much for sharing uh, what's going on on your continent today. <laughs> and um, yeah, we look forward to hearing more from you in the future. And please reach out if you have um, other recommendations for us, for your colleagues, if you think that they would make a good guest, we'd love to have them on as well. Definitely. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity. I, I feel honored. So Thanks, Grant.